So the International Mission Board has 3,673 mission, missionaries on the field right now. And out of the 3,673 missionaries that are on the field right now, I might know the names of five of them. One of the things that the Lord has worked in my life over the last few years, and one of the ways that he's been shaping the way that I think and shaping the way that I see is he's allowed me to be able to, to meet some people that I didn't even know existed in the world. People that are ordinary, people that are anonymous, people that are, are operating in obscurity within the kingdom of God and who are doing remarkable and incredible works that none of us have ever heard of. And I think that that is what is normal in the Christian life. That that is what is average in the Christian life. That the way that we are to understand our responsibility in the gospel, the way that we are to understand who we are to be in Christ Jesus is to live in anonymity and obscurity faithfully for the glory of the gospel. And by living in obscurity and anonymity for faithfully to the gospel that we are enabling the kingdom to come through us. See, there's a man I met a few years ago in a seminary class and his name was Aubrey Securia. Now, Meeting Aubrey is an experience. He was just a wonderful man, a remarkable man. He uh, is a, a native of the country of India. And if you know much about India, you'll know that India has about 1.3 billion people that live there. And out of the 1.3 billion people that live in India, only 3% of them, and he says this is high, only 3% of them profess faith in Jesus Christ. So the population is vast. The lostness is just as vast. Well, while Aubrey was growing up in India, a missionary whose name I still don't even know reached him with the gospel. He says, somebody was asking in our, in our class how, what the missionary's tactic was in evangelizing him and reaching him with the gospel. And Aubrey said, he told me about Jesus. He told me about sin. He told me about hell and I wanted Jesus. But you see, what that missionary didn't know is who Aubrey would become. See, Aubrey now has a Ph.D. from Southern Seminary, and Aubrey didn't get a Ph.D. from Southern Seminary to have a cool certificate up on the wall. You see, Aubrey is brilliant, next-level brilliant, a scholar in the original languages, a scholar in every single way that you can say the word. And what Aubrey is doing by the Lord's grace and the Lord's power is Aubrey is in the process of going back and establishing a world-class seminary right into the midst of the lostness in India. And it began, it began with an anonymous IMB missionary that I don't know and that you don't know that loved Jesus and lived out the gospel. See, that's the call of, to live on mission that every single one of us as Christians have on our lives. That's the call that every single one of us have as we go to work and as we go home and as we live our lives. It is the call to live out an average, normative Christian life on mission that through us we might reach and the gospel might spread. If you have your Bible, we're going to wrap up our series this morning on who's your one in John chapter 1 once again. John chapter 1, we're actually going to go just before where we were last week. And we're going to see what is, who, who most people believe to be the very first Christian missionary. And, and I'm just a little bit self-conscious this morning. All right, so I've got a little bit of a slur when I talk, if you guys are, are picking up on that. I had to have some pretty significant oral surgery this week, all right? And there's a chance I could spit out one of my front teeth while I'm up here. And, 
And if I do that, if I do that, I'm just going to pray. We're going to have the invitation and we're going to trust the Holy Spirit. All right. All right. John chapter one, beginning in verse 35. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? And if you're visiting with us, I don't normally talk like this, but I am going to talk like this for about the next eight months, okay? So God bless you. We're glad you're here, and uh, I hope you can endure with us. All right, chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, it says, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. So I guess if I were to go and I were to ask you to name the 12 disciples, I would be willing to bet that for many of you, Andrew would be one of the more difficult ones for you to remember. That, that Andrew is a fairly anonymous disciple, a fairly anonymous apostle that very few of us know about. And yet what we have here is an account that states that Andrew was among the very first two people to follow after Jesus as Jesus's disciples. And he's the very first one that we have recorded as living as a missionary. That is, he is the very first one that went somewhere with the message and with that message brought someone to Jesus. Is that not what a missionary is? And so that's exactly what we see in Andrew. We see the, the seedlings of this missionary faith, the seedlings of this response to a missionary God who has come from us by responding and going and bringing in likeness. And so in, in uh, Andrew, we're able to see early on the shape that the Christian mission is to have, the shape that the Christian life is to have, that the Christian life is not to be something that is impossible for us to comprehend and impossible for us to wrap our minds around. Rather, it is to be normative and average so that the power of God goes out through us and brings many people to faith. And so this morning what we're going to look at is the average missionary life the average missionary life. And the first thing that I want you to see is that missionaries live for somebody else's platform. Missionaries live for somebody else's platform. It's kind of funny the way that we're introduced to Andrew, isn't it? Look at verse 40 with me. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, we are introduced to Andrew through other people. So, so basically, John is clarifying exactly who Andrew is because he expects that his early readers in the first century might not be sure. That, that Andrew is not a frontline disciple, that, that Andrew is not a frontline leader. He's not the, the most charismatic, boisterous uh, voice of, among the early church. That he's someone that even in the first century, even among this early movement of Christians, they may not know who he is. And so he introduces him and he says, hey, you, you know Andrew, he hangs out with Ed and Joe down at Jack's every Sunday morning. Hey, you, you know Andrew, that's old, that's old what's his name, you know him through somebody. He introduces us to Andrew as John the Baptist's original disciple. 
And then he introduces us as Jesus' disciple. And then even before he tells us who Peter is, he introduces us to Andrew as Peter's brother. And so he's clarifying for us exactly who it is that Andrew is. And that tells us something about Andrew, doesn't it? That tells us something about the way that Andrew's ministry was and the shape that it took. That Andrew was a servant working in the shadows for the glory of God. That he was a servant that was working in the background. That he was content to do the work to bring people to Jesus and to go and to declare Jesus' glory even though he wasn't the most charismatic, even though he wasn't the most prominent, even though perhaps he wasn't the most gifted, that he was going to go and he was going to do whatever it took that God's glory might spread. That is that we can look at Andrew's life and we can see that he lived in a way that is the opposite of the way that we typically counsel high school graduates. We typically tell our high school graduates to go and to make a name for yourself, don't we? We tell them to go and to to build up their network and to build up their platform and to establish a platform that they can build the rest of their life upon. To go and to live in a way that they can be noticed in this world, that they can stand out as a big fish in a small pond to go and to stand out at work and to stand out at home and to stand out in their community to go and to build up your reputation and your prominence as high as you can go. But here we see Andrew. And Andrew isn't making a name for himself. Andrew is making a name for one greater than himself. Andrew is making a name for the king of kings, the lamb of God, as John the Baptist called him, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Christ. And it's interesting, he comes to Jesus as one of the original disciples of John the Baptist, meaning that he was originally mentored by John the Baptist. And this is the exact shape that John the Baptist's ministry took too, isn't it? Jesus calls John the Baptist, as we well know, that the greatest man ever born to a woman. And yet, what was John the Baptist always doing? Always deflecting, wasn't he? Always deflecting. Always pointing forward. Always pointing ahead. Always highlighting one that was above him. Always highlighting one that was greater than him. John the Baptist had the opportunity to build his platform as large as he wanted it. John the Baptist preceded Jesus in ministry. He preceded Jesus in drawing great crowds. He preceded Jesus in having influence. He preceded Jesus in in, uh, having people call him and believe him to be a prophet. And so John the Baptist could have built his platform and he could have developed a ministry empire and he could have led a a mega church, the the church in the wilderness, right? Like the wilderness point church or something like that, way out eating the locusts and the honey and, and doing the deal. And yet John the Baptist was continually, every opportunity that he had saying, behold, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. My disciples should be His disciples. Those who are following me must follow me only so far as I follow after Jesus. Behold, here is the Lamb. Behold, here is the one. Behold, here is the one whose platform I am living for. Behold, here is the one whose agenda I'm living on. And so here we have Andrew. And he's walking with John and he says, behold, and and Andrew enters into the disciple transfer portal, right? If you watch college football, you know what I'm getting. Not many many of you. I I thought that was going to land better. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. He enters into the disciple transfer portal and he ends up with Jesus and his 
taking the very same ministry approach that John the Baptist took when he said, I must decrease and he must increase. That my life is not about making a name for me. That my life is not about building a platform for myself. My life is not about building up a treasure for here and for now and a mansion for here and for now. My life is lived for a greater platform, the platform of Jesus Christ. In fact, every significant thing that we know about Andrew, Andrew is building the platform for someone else, isn't he? He builds the platform for John. He goes and he reaches Peter, his brother, who is the most charismatic among the disciples, who becomes the front-running leader of the church. And then he builds the platform ultimately combined for the Messiah, for the Christ. And so everything that we know about Andrew, Andrew is building a platform for someone else. And most of us, most of us don't even know his name, even though God is using him to initiate a worldwide revolution that is still taking place today. See, I think Andrew has a more normal story. I think Andrew has the more average story, the more typical story in the life of the Christian. I think we get enamored with missionary stories, and well, we should. We, we love to hear stories of, of people who have gone, and I, I love to tell stories about people who have gone and have lived in miraculous ways on the edge of the frontier as the tip of the spear. And praise God for the call that he places on us to do that. But I think it's more typical. I think it's more typical. I think it's more average in the life of the Christian to operate in the shadows of the kingdom, to operate in anonymity within the kingdom, to operate in obscurity with the kingdom, and to raise your kids well, and to change diapers, and to cook dinner, to coach t-ball, to go to work day in and day out 40 or 50 hours a week, to come home, try to figure out how you're going to fix your broken truck, try to clean up on the weekends, try to love your wife and your kids even though you're grumpy and irritable, to try to grow in patience, to try to be kind and diligent at work, and at the same time, to show God's glory through it all. This is why Paul tells the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, aim to live a quiet, dignified life, working with your hands. That what is to be normal in the Christian life is not something that is this biography that everybody's going to want to read. Instead, instead, it is the picture of the Almighty funneling His glory through the ordinary. The Almighty building His kingdom through the dirty diapers in your house. The Almighty building his kingdom by sending you to work every single day to what seems like a dead-end job. The Almighty allowing you day in and day out to have lunch and have breakfast with the very same people, to have the same patients come to your practice, to have the same customers come into your store, and day in, day out, through the ordinary, mundane aspects of life to spread his glory so that hallowed may be his name. That's the life that we see in Andrew. And the thing that we learn from Andrew is that you can be an Andrew. You can be an Andrew. We might read about Peter. And we might see Peter and the dynamics of his personality and the force of his character and the charisma of his life. And we might think, I can never do that. 
We might see a particular preacher or meet a particular missionary and think, I'm just not gifted that way. I don't have the ability to be like that. But we read about Andrew. We read about this man in the shadows of the kingdom, in the shadows of anonymity and obscurity. And what we should be called by the gospel is to say, but by the grace of God, I can be Andrew. By the grace of God, I can be Andrew. You see, Andrew teaches us that you can be a missionary. And because you can be a missionary with your ordinary life, you must be a missionary with your ordinary life. You're just ordinary enough to live the typical missionary life. And God has a plan, a wonderfully specific, intentional, joyful, purposeful, meaningful plan for your life to live out his platform, the spreading of his glory, the spreading of his goodness, the spreading of his grace, the spreading of his gospel. That you have everything that you need in your life to lurk in the shadows and to point your children and to point your husband and to point your friends and to point your classmates. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And for all of us who are in the background of the kingdom, for all of us who are shadow servants to the glory of God, what we can be certain of is that obscure faithfulness is greatness by the measure of God. For the first shall be last and the last shall be first. I can promise you, when Andrew stood before the Lord Jesus on his day of judgment, Andrew did not wish that he had had a bigger personality. And Andrew did not wish that he had had greater gifting because he had everything that he needed to be faithful to the call that God had placed upon his life. Instead, what Andrew heard was the very same thing that Peter heard, was the very same thing that John heard. It was well done, my good and faithful See, missionaries, they're living by some, out somebody else's platform. And not only that, but missionaries live out somebody else's purpose. They live out somebody else's purpose. You know, truthfully, we could probably boil down to our, the instinct that we have as far as seeking a purpose. All of us are born kind of living for the same purpose. And the same purpose is to make our lives as enjoyable as they can possibly be. Right? Is that not what most of us try to live out? Is that not how most of us, is that not the reflex, the instinct that most of us, the intuition that most of us find in our lives? That we want our lives to be as enjoyable as we can? You know, I I see this um, in in my generation. In my generation, there's a disturbing trend that you you go and you you love your family and you grow up and you graduate from college and you kind of graduate into life. And as you graduate from college and into life, it's like you have this enlightenment that makes you realize how foolish your parents are and how foolish all of your family is. And, And now you're more learned than they are. And since you are more learned and your family is obviously so ignorant, you have to cut them out of your life so that your life can be more enjoyable. And we see parents being cut out of the lives of their children at an unprecedented rate. And why do we see that? Because they believe it's going to make their life more enjoyable, less burdensome. We cut out of our lives difficult people and frustrating people and people that require patience in our lives. And why do we do that? Because we have convinced ourselves that to live on the purpose that we have and the purpose being the most enjoyable life possible, that we shouldn't possibly add any frustration or stress to our lives. 
We go where we want to go and spend how we want to spend and buy what we want to buy. And we do all of it because we want to be more enjoyable. We have kids or we don't have kids because we want our lives to be more enjoyable. We get married or we don't get married. And it's all aimed for the very specific purpose that our lives could be more enjoyable than they already are. And always lurking over the hill seems to be that dangling carrot of a life that is more promised, a life that is more delightful, a life that is more enjoyable. And so we're running and we're running and we're cutting out everything that we think is an obstacle to that pleasurable life. That is, we live totally inwardly focused, don't we? We, we? we live our lives, turn completely in on ourselves, trying to indulge ourselves and please ourselves and enjoy ourselves and satisfy ourselves. And the truth is, is we are empty in ourselves. We are empty in ourselves. We are misguided in ourselves. And so the missionary life turns that on its head. The missionary life flips it upside down. The missionary life is aimed upward and outward and not inward. The missionary life is aimed upward and outward but not inward. That is, it is to have such confidence in the goodness of God that you adopt his purpose, spreading his glory as your purpose. It's changing your aims and your goals and your ambitions so that they reflect those that God has for his own kingdom and for his own glory. See, missionaries, they don't prim- primarily go and spread the gospel because they believe that people is good. People are good. That's, that's not even true. They don't, they, don't, they don't go to China and to Africa and to Brazil and to Haiti and to Anniston and to Oxford and to Honda and try to spread the gospel because they believe people are good. They don't go to their families because they believe their families are primarily made up of good people. If this is why you do mission, you have to cut out basically the whole human race. You won't evangelize anybody. No, they don't go on mission because they believe that people are good and need to be rescued so that they can be fully good. They go on mission because they believe that God is good. Because they believe that God is good. And the goodness of God sends them to love their parents and their grandparents. And the goodness of God sends them to love those people that will frustrate them and irritate them and fail to acknowledge them. And the goodness of God propels them forward in grace and mercy to forgive who otherwise they wouldn't forgive and to love who otherwise they wouldn't love. That they, their upward focus sends them outward on mission, not inward on convenience not inward on pleasure. See, the Christian has trouble loving his parents well, has a trouble loving God well. The Christian who has trouble loving his brother and sister well, has trouble loving God well. The Christian who has trouble loving his boss well, has trouble loving God well. The missionary isn't living for a convenient life. The missionary is living for a life on the purpose of God to spread the glory of God through every possible avenue and every possible relationship. And so their passion for God, their love for God, their zeal for God sends them outward to their friends, family, and neighbors. There's a particular pattern that we see in Andrew's life that I think should be emulated in our lives. You'll you'll notice in verse 42, let's read verse 42 together. It says, um, and he brought him, meaning Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. He brought him 
to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Andrew, like I said, he's not, he's not talked about very often. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Andrew comes up three times. He comes up three times. And you know what he's doing in all three times? He's bringing them. He's bringing them. So the next time that we'll meet Andrew is in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, you'll remember Jesus retreats with his disciples from the crowds that are pressing upon them, and the crowds just press all the more. And there's more than 5,000, just the men. That's not counting the women. Some are saying 15, 20, 25,000 people are in the crowd. And Jesus is moved with compassion for the crowd. And do you remember what he does? He looks to Philip and he says, feed them. Take care of them. And Philip, he flushes out white and his eyes get big and his blood pressure rises. And he's like, Messiah, what in the world are you talking about? If I bankrupt us, I can't even feel the feed the front row. And do you remember what happens? you remember what happens? Andrew brings a boy. Andrew brings a boy that has five loaves and two fish. And he musters up just this little fragment of faith in his life and he's like I don't know what good this will do but I've got this dude I've got this little boy I've got this little lunch and Jesus says that'll do just fine and he feeds all of the crowd so much so that every single one of the disciples has a carryout bag when it's all finished and then you go to John chapter 12 and in John chapter 12, you have a group of Greeks, Gentiles. They come and they, they approach Philip and they approach, they approach Andrew and they, they say, we want to see Jesus. We want to go and talk to Jesus. And Philip is baffled as to what to do. And you know what Andrew says? Well, let's bring them to Jesus. Let's bring them to Jesus. And they bring them and they go and they sit and they proclaim that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. So every time we read about Andrew, he is bringing people to Jesus. And y'all, that's all a normative, typical, average missionary does. That's all a normal, typical, average missionary does. They meet people and know people and they bring the people that they meet and they know to Jesus. This is the pattern that our lives are to follow. If you're gonna live on mission, if we're, if we're truly going to revolutionize our community, if we're truly gonna change family circles, if we're, we're truly gonna change the trajectories on which we find our friends and change the trajectory of, of parenting in our community, if we're gonna change the trajectory of those that we come in contact with on mission, this is what it looks like. Think about it. So he starts with his brother, doesn't he? Peter. He starts as close as he can. He starts with his one, we might say. And then he goes out to his neighbor. He goes out to the Galilean boy, the, the boy that is from his neighborhood, from his neck of the woods, and he brings the boy to Jesus. And then, then he goes to the Greek, to the Gentile. That is, he goes to the ends of the earth, to those that had no framework for the gospel, and he brings them to Jesus. That's what it should look like for a missionary. Missionary starts with their family and then goes to the nations. The missionary starts with their family and then goes to the nation. He starts with one and then he just keeps going. You know what? I think we overcomplicate the Christian life. We overcomplicate what it means to live as a faithful Christian in everyday life. All it means to live a faithful Christian life is to share what you know with who you know when you know it. 
It is to endeavor in your life to go as deeply into the things of God as you can go, to be as amazed by Jesus as you can be amazed, and to be more and more and more amazed every single day by Jesus. And as you are amazed, it is to share your amazement. It is to be amazed by Jesus and then share that amazement with your children. It's to wake up the very next day to go into the word of God and to press into the person of God and to love the gospel of God and to be amazed by Jesus again and to share your amazement with your children once again. It is to go home and to live a faithful witness in front of your unbelieving husband. It is to press and to dig into who God is. And you don't have to be a theological scholar. You just have to have a vibrant, personal walk with Jesus and to invite them to come and to be around it. You know, I've been thinking a lot about my own ministry lately. It probably has come out in my preaching a bit, but just very personally reflective. And the thing that I've been thinking about is why on earth has God allowed me to be a part of some of the things that he's allowed me to be a part of? Can I just be honest with you? And those of you that are really close to me, you, this isn't like a newsflash for you. I'm a disaster. I'm a disaster. Like day in, day out, I'm just a disaster. I'm temperamental, I'm impatient, I get grumpy. Like I'm not the most disciplined person in the world. I, I, I go through fits and starts and I, I get really, really fired up about something then back off and cool off really quickly. I'm just a disaster. And God has allowed me to be a part of people like John who come and proclaim the gospel every week. God has allowed me, I think five people, five kids from my student ministry that are serving in ministry somewhere on church staff somewhere. And I've been trying to like reconcile how it is that that happened because it wasn't even on purpose. I don't have a seminary degree or an education. I haven't been a part of any of those things. And the only thing that I can think is I just shared what I knew when I knew it as I learned it. And you know, I think, I think in the shadows of the kingdom of God, in the obscurity where most of us live, that's the call in our lives. You don't have to go and be a theological scholar. You don't have to have Grudem systematic, well understood for you to be able to disciple your children well. You have to be amazed by Jesus. You have to love Jesus. You have to follow Jesus. You have to want Jesus. You have to be astounded by Jesus. You have to be captivated by Jesus. And if you are captivated by Jesus, you can just say, little one, little one, come and let me show you what I've seen. That's what it means to live as a missionary. That's what it means to live as an average missionary, to be captivated by Jesus and to bring others into captivation of Jesus. And that brings us to our final point. Missionaries live by somebody else's power. Missionaries live by somebody else's power. He go, it says in verse 41, he, found, he first found his own brother Simon and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. So he's seen Jesus all of 10 minutes and 10 minutes in he's going and he's going to his brother and he says, look, we found him. 
I've found the Messiah. And he couldn't possibly, he couldn't possibly have known everything that he meant, everything that it meant when he said that. But what he knew, what he knew was that he had a message. And the message that he had was transformational. The message that he had was, was life-altering. The message that he had would shake society to its very pillars and foundations. See, a missionary is only as strong and only as good as his message is. A missionary is only as good and only as, as strong and only as, as, as his message is. And the message that he had, the message that, that Andrew had, is the message that we have. The hope of every messenger is that the power that is in his, is that the power is in his message and not in the messenger, isn't it? The hope of every missionary is that the power is in the message and not the messenger. Because I bet, I bet I am not the only one that could stand here today and testify that I am a walking, talking, living, breathing disaster. I think that's normative in the Christian life too. No, as walking, talking, breathing disasters, we go forward with a message that is far powerful, far more able, far more willing, far more gracious than we could ever be. And it is the message that does not return void. It is the message that takes the sack lunch, offers it to God, and then is multiplied to the 20,000. It is the message of God, the power of God for salvation to all who will believe. And so all of us who are disasters, walking, talking, Dogging disasters will not be ashamed of it. See, the only hope that I have to not make a mess of my children, the only hope that I have not to make a mess of my marriage, the only hope that I have not to make a mess as the pastor of Iron City Baptist Church is if God intervenes. How much sleep I have lost wondering if I was gonna put my, put my kids in a ditch. And I will, y'all. How much sleep I have lost feeling though as though I'm gonna personally put Iron City Baptist Church like an utterless ship going off into the wild blue sea and I will. But the glory, the hope that I have is that I don't stand alone and I don't stand in my strength and I don't stand in my wisdom and I don't stand in my power. I have an intervening God who has intervened for me and continues to intervene and mediate for me in the gospel between the Father. I have a rudder that will not let go of me, even though I let go of it. I have one that will steer me and guide me and show me the way. I have one that will stand in the gap for me. See, Philip, I mean, Andrew, in 8066, as the shadow servant, he was seen as a threat to Rome because of the way that he was preaching the gospel and he was planting churches. And as he was preaching the gospel and planting churches, they began to believe that he was going to lead some kind of revolution because people were coming to faith and he was going and he was reaching much of what we know now as Russia. And they, they brought him before the authorities and they, they forced him and asked him to stop preaching the gospel and he refused and he said, I will not. And so they decided that what they would do is they would crucify him and they would crucify him in a very particular way. They would create a cross in the shape of an X and they would tie his hands and they would tie his feet to this X and the reason they would crucify him in this way rather than the traditional way is that it would take longer for him to die. And it said that as 
as Andrew came over the top of the hill and he could see his cross in the distance, that he said, the nearer I come to the cross, the nearer I come to God. And the farther that I am from the cross, the farther I remain from God. And he goes and he comes upon his cross and they bind him there. And for three days in starvation and dehydration and suffocation, he hangs there and he is rotting before his people. And the whole time as he's there, he's preaching the glory of Christ and preaching the goodness of the gospel and declaring who Jesus is and praying for his executioners. After three days, some of his disciples come and they begin to ask the authorities that they can have his body, have him come down in his disabled state. And as he hears them negotiating his release, Andrew cries out. He says, oh, Lord Jesus Christ, don't let your servant who hangs here on the cross for your name's sake be released to dwell among men. Please receive me, oh, my Lord, my God. You I have known. You I have loved. To you I cling. You I desire to see. And in you I am what I am. And after these words, he committed his spirit into the hands of the Father. And God took him from this earth. And you see, that is what the average missionary life is about. It is to live for a greater platform and a greater purpose and by a greater power than is yourself so that you can look to the cross and you can look to the kingdom and you can look to Jesus Christ and you can say by you, I am what I am. Take my life. This morning, are you living on mission? This morning, are you looking for miraculous, extraordinary adventures when in the ordinary, mundane aspects of your life, God is calling you for faithfulness. You are who God has made you to be. And God can deliver his glory and his greatness right in the midst of that life. Let's pray together. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at 9 o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.